0: So what is your hope for this video series? <laughs> what would you like people to think of it as?
1: So I think in society today, we do a pretty good job at prepping people for a lot of things in life. I think the thing that we like really don't prep people for at all is marriage. And so I know, like coming into marriage myself, right, I was just kind of relying on the model that my parents had, which like was a very kind of calm and harmonious household. And I just kind of assumed like that's how it goes. And I think that um, it was, you know, as we have now been married for 10 years and recognizing that we, in so many aspects of our lives, we prepared ourselves for what we were like embarking upon, whether it was like buying a car or buying a house or what school we were gonna go to. We did like zero of that to prepare ourselves for marriage, which is one of the most enduring things in life and also one of the most challenging. And so I think, um, why I'm really excited about this is because, well, two things. One, um, I think that this is like real advice, like from a practical real couple that is just ahead of you doing this. I think there's a lot of advice out there from older couples like grandparents. And and I find value in that certainly, but I think that you miss the kind of context of of today, right? And how things are happening and, and the culture change that has happened. So I think kind of the first piece is just people taking away from this an opportunity to hear questions that might be awkward for you to just confront your partner with out of the blue. But if you're listening to all of what we're talking about and you're sharing that with your partner, it kind of makes it easy to have some of those harder conversations. So I think that's the first piece is just kind of opening that aperture. Um, and I think the second thing is a lot of times, um, whether it's books or podcasts or blogs are, are written from for one of two people, either the husband or the wife. And that is difficult because if you're reading one approach and I'm reading another approach, like that's not super helpful. And so one of the things we recognized was that there were very few opportunities for um, or or programs that allow you to kind of do it together, which is, The whole thing of marriage, right? It's not just you separately from your spouse, but it's you as a unit now. And so I think we've kind of tried to work our way through a lot of the challenges that we faced early on um, and thinking through the lens of how do we do that together. So you'll hear some of, like, Marcus's thoughts, which are in some ways very different from mine. Um, And I hope that um, while you know, if the husbands there are listening kind of find that value in what you are doing, that they also like their wives can hear a familiar voice and familiar thoughts um, from from their perspective.
0: Today, we're starting with Mary. It's evident that both men and women lack basic skills and often have no idea what they're supposed to do or what they can reasonably expect from their spouse. Do you think that that is true? Like, like it it is evident that both men and women lack basic skills and often have no idea what they're supposed to do or what they can reasonably expect from their spouse. So skills, expectations, knowing what to do. Like, to what extent do you think those things are problems for men and women today? What are your thoughts
1: on that? Yeah. I mean, we absolutely lacked skills coming into marriage, right? Like, there was a time in society where, you know, there were not just you and your partner, but then, like, the community writ large of, like, well, this guy really understands engineering, and this guy is a mechanic, and this woman is really good at, you know, um, like, meal prep and this woman's very, and, and and I think that we've 100% lost that like we outsource everything and we uh, I know I did not come in to marriage with like a set of marketable skills <laughs> that I uh, but I think it's important right is to recognize that like there are a lot of things that um, that we just kind of go about doing the way we think we should and not necessarily, um, building up those skills. So I think, yes, yes, people good. need skills.
0: Um, how about, um, knowing what I'm supposed to do and knowing what I can expect from my spouse? You can either speak generally or you'd be like, as a woman, like knowing what I'm going to do as a wife once I'm married or knowing what I can expect my husband to do.
1: Right. Well, it's interesting because I think traditionally in society, women there there were very clear roles, right? And and a lot of us follow that, like coming into marriage, like I took on the cooking and the cleaning and the laundry, and you really did. I mean, before we bought a house, I'm not really sure what you did, <laughs> but like you know, like like the maintenance, you picked up heavy things, you picked up heavy things and you put them down. Uh, and so I think that the um. So, so like, for many people, those traditional roles still kind of exist, although I think there's a lot more friction over, like, well, why am I doing this? And, you know, we talk, we've talked before about, like, invisible work and, like, the, the burden that a woman can carry because she's still doing all the things she would have done as a sole homemaker and now, on top of that, is having a full-time career. And so I think that there's certainly... Um, that challenge there, but then also men recognizing their ability to step up more and be a part of it. But what that does is it creates and like kind of an imbalance because men and women are trying to navigate and negotiate like on a daily basis, who does what, Um, and so if you could take a step back early in marriage and kind of talk through with an open mind and not, um, you know, try to let go of the things like you hear in pop culture or the things that your friends have told you, um, you know, about like, Hey, as a feminist, like you, you know, you're like, we don't need a complete role reversal, right? Maybe you know, maybe there are things that you want to change that are out of traditional roles because your husband is a really good cook. And so he's going to do that and you're going to take on something different. But I think it's important early on to talk about that and not make assumptions, but also to be open to like what works in your marriage and making sure that you are both on the same page because it allows you to kind of have that streamlined ebb and flow together if you know what to expect of your partner.
0: Um, American society's extreme individualism is undermining the very essence of marriage. Rather than thinking of marriage as the most supportive and enduring partnership in your life, today's prevailing sentiment is that every individual should be focused on self, their self, ensuring they are not taken advantage of or lose their individual identity or purpose in life.
1: Okay. So I came into marriage... At thirty-three years old, yes, because we met when we when I was thirty. So I I came into marriage at thirty-three years old, and at that point I was a very hard charging, career driven person with a very clear sense of self and identity, and I think you did too. Like you came at that from the same perspective, and so for many years of your life you are focused on you and who you are and the person that you want to be and what you want to build. And all throughout that as a woman, I'm also hearing from people like either marriage is not worth it or like you're going to have to change who you are or, um, like men not being interested in career driven women because of the, um, for some men, true. And for some men, a kind of straw man that like, well, they're going to want you to be, you know, barefoot in, in the kitchen. Um, but I think that that is a, when you, as you are once you're engaged and as you are preparing for marriage and very early in your marriage, I was not aware of how much I had to let go of that and to be able to, um, recognize that it's about the giving of oneself and like that partnership. Um, So I think when you come into marriage, you have to be ready uh, and you should be ready and you should be excited and willingly ready to um, become one unit. And so that, I mean, there were some very clear things early on that I knew were going to happen. Like I wasn't going to be making career decisions on my own anymore because that impacted our relationship, our family, whether it was like taking a step up in a job because it was going to take more hours or like I was always like, oh yeah, I'll take that job. And then I would move. Right. And so recognizing and being ready to not let that go, but understanding that there's someone else in the mix that you now need to be able to work with and, and think about these things with. So I think there's such a stigma in society today about like willingly giving up your individualism. Because I think that's something that we value as a culture and as a society, but I think it is turned the corner to our detriment because a successful marriage not only requires you to give of yourself, but it is within that giving of yourself to your partner, And the other way around, that you have a relationship where you both know that you're in it, that you can rely on one another, that you're willing to, you know, um, maybe change some decisions or rethink things as partners rather than, well, what benefits me and and where do I want to go? And so I do... and I, and I think there is really a negativity around, especially for women, because I think traditionally, you know, women would give up their themselves to become the wife. Right. So whether it was getting rid of your, like getting, not having a career anymore because you're about to be a mother or, um, you know, maybe it was, you know, like you were going to school and now you're not doing that anymore, whatever it was. I think that culturally, that was a trend um that that today's women are very on guard against. Um, and so I think as like I don't think I really fully thought about that until we took this step in you becoming Mr. Homemaker and us like and and me becoming the like primary I think one of the things that has helped the most in me being more willing to sacrifice and to let go was the step that you took in becoming Mr. Homemaker and saying, our family life isn't working. We are very stressed. I am going to step away from my career that I've worked on for the past 15 years because I think that our family is what's most important. And I think that was a real, it was a surprise to me, but it was also something that really is like, I felt in my heart because it was, well, first I thought you were trying to trick me and get me to do it. But then I think it was really, um, it was a big decision and a big sacrifice that you made for our family and that you did first. And I think that made me pause to say, like, well, what sacrifices am I making for our family? And what are the things that I can be doing to make your life and our lives better and easier? And so I do think that as the man, the onus was on you a little bit to do it because as a woman, I was so like, well, no, I'm not gonna be a stay-at-home mom. Like, you know, I'm not gonna be boxed into that corner that everybody's been telling me I shouldn't be boxed into. Um, I think the flip side is now that I see, like, our household and the time with our children and all of that sometimes I'm like why was I so stubbornly like I don't want to be a stay-at-home mom um, and so I just think there is a lot I, I think the most important thing is recognizing the need to take the first step.
0: The Clems argument is that our parents like boomers and maybe old Gen Xers like they were fixated on we should have more fairness in society, particularly gender fairness. Mm-hmm. And so they raised all their children, like, make sure you're being everything should be fair. And that the consequences that we grew up in, like, a 50 50 zero some game mindset. Right. Do you think that that, like, yeah, that makes sense? You're like, well, maybe there's something to that, but like a different take, like, just react to like the, the claim from the Clemps from 80 80 marriage that we're overly fixated on fairness. Like, earlier we were talking about individualism, right? Maybe there's an like, overlap with like another aspect. You're like you're too fixated on what's fair, you're not thinking about, like, being selfless. What would this fairness really mean? In daily conversations, people typically refer to one of two things. One, treating everyone with equally without prejudice or favoritism. Uh, or, two, thoughtfully leveling the playing field by having those with privilege and advantage assist those who are disadvantaged. So again, like, are we trying to get to a, like, we don't think about gender? We're trying to, like, no, we're consciously thinking about gender. We're, like, right yeah past for
1: I I think the way in which we have – the way in which we now think about fairness is a – it is not the true essence of the word as it was intended, right? If we're talking about fairness in leveling the playing field and helping, like, those that have, helping those that don't, I think that's absolutely, like, a virtuous pursuit, right? But I think what's happened now, and I think about it with our children, right, is like fairness is like, that's not fair. That's not, you know, it, it is about and so instead of like radical generosity of, you know, I try to teach the kids. If you don't be worried about what's fair or not fair, what can you give of yourself? To be helpful to someone else. And when you do that enough, that person is then going to give back to you as well. And isn't it better and happier to kind of live this life where we are all thinking about how we can, how we can give more to others versus I think fairness, which if, which should be the output of that, right? Is like, we are all like incredibly generous because we want to improve fairness in society. But I think that we've turned it, like we've flipped it to the negative of like what's not fair. And what that ends up doing in a marriage or with kids, right, is I it's a tally sheet. Well, I did the dishes, so why didn't, like, so you should do X, Y, Z. And that's not. I couldn't do that. <laughs> and that's, that's not, um. it, it, it sets you up for. Like a negative environment versus a positive one?
0: So there is this prevailing narrative that marriage, as it existed stereotypically in the nineteen fifties and or before it in many people's minds, mm-hmm. marriage benefited men at the expense mm-hmm. of women. Men got a lot out of it, but they didn't put much in. Women, on the other hand, had to put a lot in and they didn't get much back in return. Mm-hmm. Do you think that narrative exists and do you think that narrative is accurate?
1: I think that narrative definitely exists. I think if you break it down, it's not wholly accurate. I mean, right? Like, the, I think the, the spirit of what, of why people are frustrated by that is because it was a male chosen structure. I don't think, I mean, like, women were having to take care of the household and do all of the things that kind of keep everything running. But it wasn't like the men were like, and I'm just sitting on the sofa doing nothing. Like they were working and providing for the home and and financially, um, and maybe discipline in you know in terms of being a father. Um, but I think that the the like the the issue with it was that along with that then came this like m- men ruling the family in a way that felt demeaning to women. Like so the the man just is going to go out with his, his friends and the woman had to ask, right? Because the man held the financial ability and because that's just like the way a, a, like familial structure was run. Like I'm thinking like in the Mary Poppins era of.
0: One of the um, watershed reforms in America mm-hmm. around the 1970s was no fault divorce. Mm-hmm. It used to be that Either or both people who were married, in order to get divorced, even if they both wanted to get divorced, they had to convince a judge you should let us get divorced. Mm-hmm. And starting in 1970, in this country, we said like, no, nah, if you want to get divorced, it's fine. We won't act. You don't have to con- tell anybody a reason. Do you to divorced like, right. for no reason? Right. Um, reflect on why you think that might have like the Pros and cons might have been they, like the intention versus yeah. outcome kind of thing. What are your thoughts on no fault divorce?
1: I, I don't know enough about no fault divorce to because like I would I would presume that there was also a piece of it that was um that that had to do with like women being held in marriages that they no longer wished to be in anymore because of, like, because of the process of, like, well, you have to have XYZ, and if the partner doesn't agree to it, then you you cannot get a divorce. And so I imagine there's, like, something there, but I do think that, like, the ability to divorce with ease has had a negative impact on society for a number of reasons – one, uh, you don't have to take marriages seriously, right? You say, like, you make a commitment forever, but you're, everybody knows that there's a back door and that you can have one foot out the whole time. And so I think that's one piece of it. Um, I think divorce, no matter how well it's done, um, is negatively impacts children. And I think we can all agree that we would prefer to have, like, we, we want families, like, parents to marry and have children and stay together. Um, and I certainly think that there are things we can do as a society better to help cultivate and support those marriages. But when we go like moving to no fault divorce, I think, um, it, it provides like an, an ease of ending something that has impacts far beyond just the two people that are now, you know, choosing to to end their marriage okay
0: so in contrast to the, to the concept of like independence and individual identity to achieve a, tr- a state of true marital well-being couples require more than mere compatibility tolerance or reciprocal emotional support They need something deeper a profound sense of shared meaning share your reflections on your own evolution of thought our life experience and like you convey somebody like the importance of shared meaning in a marriage.
1: When we first got married, I don't think I thought at all about like what we thought the meaning of marriage was. I think I just thought you get married and you have a family, and we believe that marriage is uh, a binding and lifelong commitment, and that was probably the, the furthest I would say in terms of what the meaning of marriage was, and you know, to build a family that has stability, um, but as you as you progress in the kind of complexity of marriage right so now you've been married for a while you're making big financial decisions together you are deciding to have a family you are having chil- you know one child multiple children kind of moving through that i think kind of understanding both the essence and the purpose of your marriage is key in helping you to make major decisions you and your partner may be very similar. You may like you may not have to have many conversations about like what you think the purpose of marriage is because by nature like you're just kind of going along. But I think there's a lot more people out there where there are far bigger differences that we never uncover because we don't actually talk about the underlying like value of what do you think the purpose of of marriage in general is and the purpose of this marriage and where are we trying to go? And I think it ties to something that we've you know, that we've undertaken and that we really support others in doing, which is kind of having your family strategic vision and thinking through what do you want from your family? Like what does success look like? What are the things that you value? Because that helps. It is so easy to get like caught up in the day to day and like, what kid wants to be and what activity and what you and I are doing. And so, um, and what we're spending our money on and all of that. And if, if you don't stop and pause and kind of think strategically about like, where is it we're trying to go and what do we want to do? Um, you can live an entire lifetime without any purpose. Right? So, um, I think that that is, is really key and essential to, um, having to, to, having a happy and fulfilling family life.
0: Within every marriage and family, we construct a micro culture. It is within this intimate sphere that we constantly communicate through our words, symbols, rituals, and myths, our beliefs, values, and reciprocal expectations we hold for one another. Can you talk about like building a culture as a couple and a
1: family? So I actually think one of the most exciting things about getting married and starting a family is that microculture that you create, because the reality is that you are creating that day to day. So one, think about it and recognize that it's a thing because you are going like, there are things that you have grown up doing, right? Maybe it's you, you eat dinner at a certain time every night. We eat dinner together. Maybe you eat a very light dinner. Maybe you guys are like, you know, whatever the expectations are, but your partner is coming at that with likely significantly different, a a different microculture, um, and, or expectations of like, you know, we do Sunday dinner every night with our family or whatever it is. And so, the really fun thing is that you get to talk through that and learn about your partners, but all like their culture, but also, um, and their traditions and their rituals, but also recognizing that it's not natural, right? Like you, you have to actually explicitly communicate about that because some of the things will just fall into place, but, um, you know, how you approach Christmas with your kids or right? Like whatever it is, you, you are going to have um, expectations and they need to be spoken because your partner may not agree. And once you, especially when you start traditions, right? Like it becomes a part of the rest of your life. One of the best pieces of advice I ever got was a boss who said to me, do not start a tradition that you are not willing to do for the next 25 years of your life. And he talked about how his wife early on decorated the kids doors for their birthday every year. Um, he's like, and now my kids are like 19 and you know, 20 and she's like, we're up at like 6am doing it. Right. And he's like, it has become a part of our family culture and that's wonderful. He's like, but also sometimes I wish we had not like we had not started that. I think that's so true. Right. Like we have like things that we start with our kids, maybe you're an elf on the shelf family. I don't know. Like, right. You've just, it is, um, you have to like really think about those things and, and talk to each other. Um, so that the traditions that you're setting are ones that you embrace together and that are, um, and, and recognizing also though, that like, if you've come from a family that either doesn't have that or has things that you didn't like, you are now starting your own family and you have the ability to, do, to have happen what you want to happen. If you want to be a family that goes out for a walk after dinner every evening, and like that's a kind of quiet time for you all, because I think that's lovely, um, that, you know, like that can be a thing you do. Um, and so just kind of like putting, like taking some time to put some critical thought into it and really talking with one another. I know that I had a lot of expectations around holidays that I kind of just, we have kids. I just started doing them, um, but that was unfair because you were coming at it differently and didn't want to start certain like things without thinking about the implications of what we were doing and, and what that said. And um, but I think it's just it's really it's really fun, but it's very important to openly communicate about it early on.